In this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Mike Kahn, who is highly focused on the industrial setting, uh, working out east, and really promoting athletic trainers in this setting and the value we could bring, um, and really some of the positives that come along with uh, working in that setting, um, from hours to compensation to still being able to use the full spectrum of our skills as athletic trainers, which I know for me, moving into the clinical setting has become something I've had to adapt to and find other ways to maximize my skill set, um, missing some of the things I got to do in that traditional setting um, on a daily basis. So Mike presents a great overview of the industrial setting and a lot of the options that come with it. So it's a great opportunity to hear more about that and some different things you can do um, if you're looking to move into that setting. As always, we are brought to you by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please consider them um, when you're looking at your sports medicine needs. Uh, so many good things happening there that I wish I could talk about, uh, but they've got a lot of things coming that are just going to try and make our jobs as ATs better, uh, more efficient, and at the highest quality. So please give them a consideration for all your sports medicine needs. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Mike Kahn, who is on to talk about uh, the industrial settings, occupational health space, and just kind of that quote-unquote emerging settings uh, within athletic training. He does a lot um, of connecting around the country in regards to those and actually reached out to us, which we always encourage because we want people to come tell us their story. Um, we're happy to have you. And so here we are. We finally got... Uh, Schedule is coordinated, but before we get into talking about the industrial setting, which I'm very intrigued to hear about, we've had a few people on the past that have worked in this setting. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Mike to just give a little bit more background on how he ended up where he is today, and then we'll get talking about it. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. It's, um, I'm really excited to be able to talk to you here. So quick background on myself and kind of the career arc, because I'll, I'll tap back into that. I think that's kind of important here. Uh, went to school at Temple University uh, in Philadelphia, originally from the Philadelphia area. Uh, when I graduated there, I was lucky enough to get a job pretty quickly, a lot more quickly than I thought I would in a PT clinic. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. I, I knew, I was pretty certain I didn't want to do the traditional setting with college or even high school athletics as much as I like my high school internship. Actually, I got to intern at my own high school that I went to, but um. You know, I, I wanted to find something a little different. So I started the PT clinic and, you know, it was okay. It ended up being more or less what I assumed and kind of worried it would be, which is, you know, aid responsibilities, handing out hot packs, running insurance cards, and, um, you know, just kind of being that, you know, extra person on hand, not really getting to exercise my full capabilities, right? Sure. So that was, that was pretty quick. That was just a few months. Um, and around that same time and through school, I'd worked at a gym, I'd worked at some gyms and, you know, the last gym I was at was, it was a ton of fun. The people were great. I learned a lot. You know, I did personal training sessions. I did fitness instructor classes and I did all different kind of levels, you know, beginner to advanced. And so, you know, I did that 
uh, total for about four years, but two years out of school. And again, still trying to find that that niche that I really wanted to to get into. I was throwing my resumes out to hospitals, thinking that there might be a good opportunity at a hospital somewhere. And you know, as luck would have it, one of the clients I've been working with for a while is having this conversation with me about, you know, what are you thinking about doing? What would you like to do? Is this what you want to do? Being at the gym, and I, you know, I explained the same thing to him, and he put me in touch with his quote unquote friend at the time, who uh, for you know, close to 10 years now has been my supervising physician. And that's where I am today in the emerging setting in the industrial setting specifically. So when I first came across the opportunity, I first started as a per diem because I knew nothing about this setting. I didn't even know it existed. And I didn't want to just dive in head first. I'd have to relocate a little bit. And, you know, so I did per diem for about a year and I fell in love with it immediately. So the moment the full-time position opened up, I jumped right in then. You know, once I got a taste of it, I said, this is really, really cool. I never thought as an athletic trainer, we had to have an opportunity to care for the general public as we, as I was able to in this setting. Sure. So, you know, I started as a per diem, a few years went by, I'm sorry, one year went by and I, you know, jumped on full-time. So I was full-time for a few years as our company grew. uh, There was more leadership opportunities. I was able to step in a manager role where I supported a team of other athletic trainers. As we grew more, I had an opportunity to become, you know, what we coined as a senior division manager because we continue to grow. We needed more leadership infrastructure to support that growth. And, you know, so where I'm at today is I do some of the clinical stuff still, but my focus has become a little bit more business-minded, administrative, managerial. Uh, I supported a team of 15 athletic trainers, just foster their growth and development, help them strategize with things, you know, basic manager responsibilities, and then separately with our company, kind of help with different business development strategies as well to in company projects. So, you know, I know that's a little long-winded here, but again, just trying to paint the picture of what the setting's been able to offer me. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, begin as a per diem and that career arc, I've been able to transition quite a bit and that entire time use my full capabilities as an athletic trainer yeah i think that's a really interesting part about is the breadth of experience you've had in a seemingly a relatively condensed amount of time you know starting out from truly kind of clinical and skill-based but then adding on that administrative and you know leadership if you will aside fairly quickly um like i mentioned we had 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 a couple other athletic you know athletic trainers in the industrial setting and they had their kind of take on why they went there you've mentioned a few of those things but what do you see as being some of the biggest draws to this setting as it continues to emerge and evolve within the profession of athletic training sure yeah so so there's a few um i've always been pretty transparent about this when we're talking to new people coming into the setting they're doing interviews and they ask me that same question which i think is a great question on paper, right up front, the thing that first attracted me was a competitive salary and the work-life balance. They, those were the two big things that stood right out to me to say, okay, yeah, let me give this industrial setting thing a try. Um, you know, we all know the challenges that we as a profession face with proper compensation. And I know you've had some really great talks with people even recently um, about that and the work that's being done there. But, you know, that's still a challenge and we're still up against it. And athletic trainers overall are still vastly underpaid, in my opinion. So when you see the competitive salary that's being offered right up front, even for a bachelor's degree, sometimes a lot of times uh, that's very attractive. And then you get into the schedule and the work-life balance and the hours. And it's almost always typically 40 hours a week. 
uh, depending on the client site you're at and the schedule, most of the time, it's more like daytime hours. Sometimes sure. there could be some nighttime, but you know, the point is, you know, your schedule well in advance. Um, you're typically not, you're really not ever doing any weekends unless it's, you know, differently agreed upon ahead of time. So, you know, again, when it comes to the, the 40 hour work-life balance, and then you look at the salary too, um, it, it's pretty attractive. And that salary is actually, if you really think about it compared to the, you know, what, people are coming from in other settings, it's actually even a little bit more than what it seems because the salary itself might be low, but then the hours of working are also so much higher. So you're getting it on both ends where your time is reduced and your income is increased. So that's pretty nice. So that's the initial attraction part. Now the draw that really kept me there and that I tell people to of why I fell in love with it, why I think they'd fall in love with it is a few things. One, you will absolutely be used to your full capabilities. You're not just handing out a hot pack. You're not low man on the totem pole where you don't get an opportunity to really exercise your clinical capabilities and your skill set. When you're there on site, it's your show and you get to, to exercise your full skill set. Now, that's not to say you're without a lifeline and you're the only one there. You don't have a support system, but again, you are empowered. I think that's the key part. You're really empowered to exercise your full skill set. That's one thing. Um, a second thing that's really important too that I personally really like for myself and knowing me and the relational person I am, I really appreciate getting to work with the same people day in and day out. At sure. a PT clinic, you're with patients for a few weeks, few months, you know, traditional setting, you're with athletes for a season or, you know, depending on the setting, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, they might be coming back. But at a certain point, that time's going to expire with your population that you're working with. In this setting, you know, you're working with people that, you know, this is their career. You know, I, the story I usually tell people is my first day there, I met this guy, Dennis, 10 years later, I'm still working with Dennis, you know, I still treat Dennis. And that's just one example. So you really build relationships with these people, you really get to know them, the employees of the work site, um, they really become to re rely on you, you know, they, they turn to you for their health care and their wellness needs, and you develop a really good relationship with them. So I really appreciate getting to build relationships and work with the same people day in and day out, and they can come see me at any point they want. Um, and the third part I won't expand upon because I kind of already did is, you know, just the advancement opportunities, really. Sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of unique. You know, you brought up two points that to kind of go back on is using your full skill set, which I think we'll get into more so. And maybe we'll, I'll ask that question here next. But then that uniqueness of almost getting that same type of traditional setting experience where you're working with the same people, because for me, switching to a clinic that's been the hardest thing is you see people in a 20 minute appointment that you think you could go and help. If only you could see them back, you know, two times for the next two weeks where you could really, but the, unfortunately it's just not set up like that currently, although we're working on it, but I think that's something that I hadn't really given that a thought yet. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. In terms of using your full skill set. I could see that we're for some, you know, everybody coming out of a traditional in quote setting, you know, with your AT program, all your skills being used, different ones being highlighted depending on where you're working. What do you see as like using your full skill set? Like, what does that mean to you? Or how would you relay that to someone? Because I'm guessing you're probably not taping 30 ankles a day, different type of skill set, but using other ones that you wouldn't use if you were working with a team. Right. So what I typically mean by that is uh, we could start with the injury care part of it because sure. that's 
a huge part of what we do, right? There's we're jack of all trades, but the injury care part is a huge thing where, you know, subject matter experts when it comes to ortho and MSDs and stuff. So in that regard, you know, when there's a employee that comes to us or, you know, we call, call them, refer them as a patient right now, when they come to you, you see them through and through, you do the, the evaluation, it's your evaluation, you develop the treatment protocol, you're the one to initiate and schedule the follow-up appointments. And of course, every case is a little different, every injury is a little different, and sometimes they need referrals, you know, you're the point person for the referrals. Um, now, again, what I mentioned before is it's not like you're the one and only person without a lifeline and, you know, you have to be in a situation of well, what if I don't know if I'm really ready for that challenge yet or, you know, what if I make a mistake, you know, you have, at least for us, you know, we have a supervising physician on hand that if we're stumped, we're not really sure we need some guidance here, we give them a call. Um, you know, again, I-15 athletic trainers, if they're stumped on something, they could bounce an idea off of me as well, too. So they could go out and give me a call for something. You know, more serious and more immediate cases will probably call the supervising physician. Sure. Um, but in the injury care realm, you have a patient where you could be the one sole provider for them through and through from the moment they have the injury to the moment that they're fully resolved. And then even, see, you know, providing them continued care beyond that on the floor. So their injury is fully resolved. Well, you could go on the floor and provide job coaching and ergonomic evaluations and still provide some tips and tricks for them along the way to prevent a re-injury um, for that injury or, you know, any injury, really. So just in the injury, you know, landscape, uh, you're at the forefront and you have an ability to see the entire thing through. Beyond the injury part, you know, we, we're pretty well versed and we have a pretty good education with other things outside of just injury. You know, we have a good education on prevention. We have a pretty good education on wellness. We have a pretty good education on nutrition. And some, some of us focus on some of those areas more than others and kind of beef those skill set up maybe in continuing ed classes. But again, you know, we're well versed in jack of all trades. At this, in this setting, you have an opportunity to initiate and create these programs and projects. You want to do a wellness event. You know, our company, Pivot, we have a robust, robust ergonomics program. Um, so that affords us an opportunity to do things outside of the clinic as well, too. So, again, really anything that you feel that you had learned and picked up along the way between school or, or con ed classes, you have an ability to do that. And most of the time, you have an ability to initiate it yourself. That's awesome. Yeah. So that all sounds great. Everybody wants to work industrial. But what would be, what are your, from your experience, some of the maybe downfalls or the not so bright side of this setting? Yeah. And I do love this question, especially for interviews, because I think it's important you paint a full picture, right? Sure. It's not just a highlight reel of what what's great. You know, what are their, what are the challenges and things to be aware of? So the one thing, and I wouldn't say it's a downfall or a pitfall really, but the one thing that is um, it's some getting used to. There's two things. The one thing that can be getting used to uh, for people coming in, and it certainly was for me, is un understanding OSHA. You're going to need to learn a lot about OSHA. And OSHA has so many tiny nuances and things do change and get updated. You know, I've been doing this again, close a little less than 10 years, and I'm still picking up things along the way. So learning OSHA can take quite a bit and just understanding the guidelines. And it's really, that's really all it is. It's just understanding the guidelines. So, you know, as you're progressing a case, as you're assisting a client potentially with their case management and we're an assistance to that, it's, it's good to be well-versed so you can properly assist. You're not gonna be at the forefront of it. You're not the one leading a worker's comp case necessarily. You don't deal with insurance, which is great by the way, to not deal with insurance, <laughs> but you are involved. You are a big complimentary support piece to the client site. So the OSHA part can be kind of tricky. 
Um, so I would say that that's, you know, one of those, uh, you know, obstacles or, or sure. learning things to, to, you know, get. Um, the probably maybe the biggest one where I've seen some people have a difficult time with is understanding that in this setting, it's a business and it's, and it's client focused. It is client driven. So what that means is we, you know, we really are trying to satisfy the needs of the client and, you know, we can be in, um, an interesting situation at times. It's a balancing act where we are caring for the person, but we also need to consider the business needs. Now that does not mean, I want to be clear, that does not mean that the business needs trump the care of the person at all because, and clients are always very good about that too. Let's take care of the person first and foremost. However, as we're doing that, there are certain business needs and within OSHA regulations that we are trying to consider as well too. So how can we satisfy both? properly, you know, with the person still being first and foremost, how can we also consider some business needs and preferences of the client? Um, a lot of times athletic trainers, and I've seen this a few times, a lot of times athletic trainers coming from a more traditional setting, coming to this setting, it's easy for them and very understandably so. It's easy for them to sit around the athletic training room, kind of wait for some things to happen. In this setting, we're very proactive. If we have any downtime, uh, which again, we could be quite busy, just like any athletic trainer. If we do have any downtime, you know, we're really encouraged and and guided to again create and find opportunities. You know, work on programs, work on projects. There's a ton of safety programs and projects we could do. There's wellness events. There's there's a lot of stuff we could always be doing. Um, we need to have that active mindset and that active approach, and not a passive approach. So that's sometimes a you know an obstacle I think for some of the new athletic trainers in the setting to overcome. Sure. So I just jotted down a note so we can include that. Um, so you, you talked about kind of the transition already. You know, some people going from the traditional to this for a multitude of reasons. Um, some, i.e. yourself, kind of got it coming right out of the gate uh, to a degree. If people are interested in going this as it is becoming more of an emerging setting, or if you don't really like it, I would be curious also on your take on the quote unquote emerging settings. Uh, I know there's been some back and forth on that, but um, if they were looking to go into this setting specifically, what would you suggest that they start looking at short of just applying um, for, for those jobs? You know, what things could they do to help get into those roles? Sure. So at least to my knowledge, really, there are no certifications that are going to boost you or really prepare you that well. The, the one that I would say could kind of prepare you, though, is a little expensive, is the CEAS certification. That's an ergonomic assessor certification. Okay. And that is, a, that is a very, very good one to have. Now, hopefully, and, you know, if you're fortunate like myself, um, you know, a company will cover that expense. Right. Of course, you're, you're hired at that point, and maybe it's part of your onboarding process, which is what we did. But, um, you know, that is, if you have the means for that, the CEAS is a great certification to have for ergonomics, because no matter what industry you're serving, and most likely, no matter what company you're with, ergonomics will most likely be a very big focus. Um, there's a big opportunity for us to make an impact for the employees and safety prevention, or I'm sorry, injury prevention, really. Uh, within ergonomics. So the CEAS is a great certification. That's that's one I would definitely recommend if you have the means for it. Um, 
you know, the, there are some sites that is client dependent. I know for construction, for example, a lot of times they require a certification called the OSHA 30. Essentially, it's 30 hours of, of different OSHA teachings and, and uh, learning modules to go through. And that's really just more of a requirement to be able to go on site. But again, that's more of a client driven thing. And I don't know, I'm not entirely sure how helpful that's going to make be for you as a incoming clinician or practitioner right. to have that kind of certification. So outside of the ergonomics one, there really isn't one that I would be recommending. My best recommendation to prepare yourself for this setting, if you will, is some of the things I'd mentioned before, understand to have an active mindset rather than a passive mindset. Um, try to develop a bit of a creative mindset if you can to you know look for opportunities and create and, and come up with ideas, collaborate with others on coming up with ideas um, and, and prepare to you know, learn more about OSHA. Um, there is no one good source I could tell you to, to pick up things on OSHA. I don't want to direct you to OSHA's website because I guarantee you it will get lost. It will get <laughs> lost in a bunch of boards and texts that probably don't mean anything. Um, so that's probably the most that I could offer on that front. Gotcha. Um, as a kind of reference, you know, this as a quote, um, emerging setting, you being much more um, in this setting than I have ever been probably or ever will be. Uh, where do you see more coming within this setting specifically? I know everybody talks about the Amazon jobs that are starting to pop up more frequently. Uh, I know um, one of our previous guests works at a um, beer distributor. Um, another works for a graphics company in Wisconsin. And then I know airlines up in the Twin Cities are also employing athletic trainers. But that being said, what have you seen because you follow it so much closer uh, than probably most? Yeah, so, so are you asking where, where do I see the athletic training profession itself as a whole or this setting specifically? Just this setting, like within the industrial or occupational setting, are you seeing more specific types of companies or industries really honing in on um, util the utilizing athletic trainer skills? Okay, understand. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really not sure. It's funny. It's funny you did mention the beer distributor because we do have a beer distributor, and I do have an athletic trainer on my team who I team who I support actually in New York for that as well too. So that that is one. Nice. Um, you know the the common ones for us, and this is off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm going to kick myself for forgetting some of them, but <laughs> the really common ones off the top of my head that that we have contracted with is a lot of manufacturing, food manufacturing, especially okay. that that's where I've cut my teeth. That's a that's a really huge one. Um, you know, beverage bottling. Uh, construction has become one that has been, you know, uh, quite lucrative as well, too. And I, I think that, that. that's one that's really recognizing the needs. And there's uh, different worlds in construction. You know, there's flat road construction and there's vertical construction, which is exactly what it sounds like, you know, building buildings and large yeah. skyscrapers and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, at least with athletic training, there's some of the few right off the top of my head, a lot within manufacturing, packaging, warehouse distribution, um, the, the beer distributor would fall under that, of course. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, look, there are other professions or other uh, medical clinicians that are contracted for some services. It could be pharmaceuticals, it could be mining, it could be the steel mills. Um, you know, sometimes they will employ maybe an advanced practitioner instead of an athletic trainer, but those are some of the other industries and clients that, you know, our company has contracted with as well, too. So um, to answer your question, I'm not sure if I see any one industry, you know, growing necessarily, but I will say that 
over time, I have seen many, many, many different companies um, recognize the benefit, you know, recognize the impact that they can provide to their employees by having a clinician on site providing some of these services. So I do see that continuing to grow. Um, I, I suppose for some context here, at least again, with my experience in my company, when I first came on board full-time, I think I was somewhere in the single digits, maybe like seventh or eighth. When I was per diem, there was only three full-time and this was in sure. like 2009, 2010. Um, uh, you know, when I came on full-time, um, I was single digits and we had actually just crossed, crossed the century mark, uh, fortunately, which is a great, you know, great benchmark. That's a great achievement. Um, so, you know, we're well over a hundred athletic trainers now in just under 10 years. That's awesome. Yeah. This wasn't in our kind of pre-plan, but I'm just curious, have you run into anything in trying to work with other healthcare professions? You kind of referenced that because Obviously, with a lot of these things, especially ergonomics, you know, you think occupational health, occupational therapy. Um, have you come across that where that's ever been an issue or and if you have, how have you resolved it? How do you work together um, or any just kind of advice around that area? Yeah, so that's a that's actually something that we continually discuss ourselves internally and try to support because you see that on two fronts. One, you see that internally. So, you know, we do have contracts, you know, client sites where we have multiple providers. We have athletic trainers and nurse practitioners, maybe even an EMT. You know, we have multiple people. Each brings, you know, something different to the table, Mm -hmm. a different skill set. And it's about having those clearly defined roles of who's doing what, what does that handoff look like, you know, if and when there is a handoff. And so that's something that we're continually looking at to support because, you do have, again, have different clinicians from different backgrounds. Sometimes they think they could do certain things or they want to do certain things. So, you know, that's really, I think, on us to have those clearly defined roles that we can outline for them and support as we go on. Externally, again, we do a lot of referrals at times. You know, there are times there are things that are just beyond our scope or look, at the end of the day, someone just wants to go to the doctor and that's totally fine. Each state has their own you know, guidelines and statutes, but, um, you know, we help with the referral process. And so that's another opportunity for us to network and uh, coordinate the care for that employee with an outside clinic. And, um, you know, that's another one where it takes some practice and getting used to, and that's something else that we try to support as well, too, because that's not anything that we may always have experience doing. Uh, sure. coordinating care with like multiple providers outside and just having helping them the outside provider understand who we are and what we're doing and why we're even speaking to them and right. at the end of the day just to collaborate the care of the employee no that sounds awesome it was, it's something that popped in I've, I've come across them within a much bigger system how do you navigate what you can and cannot do without encroaching on too many people's turf yeah, yeah, you know, some, sometimes, you know, just like anything in life in the work setting, sometimes you deal with personalities and, you know, personal preferences and, and those work habits. And that's just, you know, the work setting and working through those challenges. Yep. Yeah. Well, what, what else did we not cover in the industrial setting that an athletic trainer could have the potential of doing as part of their role? If anything, if we covered it all, then we, we did a good job. 
I'd say a high level overview and kind of skimming the surface. I think that encompasses a lot of it. Um, you know, I think the way I typically phrase it for people when I'm first introducing them to this, or, you know, we have an interview, uh, an interviewee that's trying to learn a little bit more about the setting. I typically break it down into the three main buckets of what we usually mm -hmm. do. Plus there's other stuff. Those sure. three main buckets would be injury care, um, prevention, typically being ergonomics, but it could be a bunch of different safety things. Yep. And then there's also wellness. They're like the three main buckets, but beyond that, there's, there's other, there's many sub buckets with the, in those main buckets. And then there's still a ton of other stuff. I mean, there's, there's medical surveillance testing that we could do. And again, this is typically all client driven based on the request of what the client could be looking sure. for. So, you know, I've done respirator fit testing where I need to properly fit someone for a respirator for when they're working with toxins. Uh, we do audiograms. We could do audiograms. We could do functional movement screens. Some clients, we could do uh, pre-employment testing. So that would pretty much be very similar to, you know, pre-participation. There's drug yep. screens. Um, you know, the, re, I, I think it kind of brings me back to anything that you may have picked up along the way between school or con ed. Anything you may have picked up on, there's typically an opportunity to do something with that within this setting. Um, and maybe there is something I'm forgetting about or not really honing in on properly right now. Uh, and I, it probably sounds a little oversimplified, uh, but you really could do almost anything. Anything that you've been trained to do as an athletic trainer, you could typically do in this setting. No, that sounds great. There was one that you had listed on here and I um, wanted to just have you touch base on it just because you kind of referenced and we talked about briefly with, you know, salary and fair compensation and just kind of where we're at the ROI reporting, you know, and what you see and what you look at to add that back um, to show the value that you and your team provides, I think would be um, really interesting. Yeah. And this was one of the things that I found particularly interesting with uh, one of the recent interviews I I listened in on with you doing with Nikki Harris, I believe it was, you know, she had mentioned something like this as far as us being able to show our value, yep. um, you know, really quantify it and have, you know, within a business mindset to really highlight and show the value. And that's exactly what this ROI does. So, I mean, the ROI is doing a few things. Uh, and for those that don't know, that's return on investment. So an ROI report scorecard, you know, it does a few things where it can help the client, you know, show, you know, the impact of our service really you know it could show the money that they're saving um with us it could show the the positive impact that we have on things within osha and you know their work productivity but then you know going back more to your point i believe what nikki harris had talked sean is it really shows the value of the athletic training itself and i think there are things like that that will and should help advance the profession we're quantifying you know, with real numbers, um, the true value that the athletic trainer can bring to to a work site. And again, employers are noticing that more and more are noticing that. And I know that's why we've seen such incredible growth. And I'm sure mm -hmm. other companies in the setting have seen, you know, very strong growth as well, too. Um, so that is something that, that we have been doing for quite a while. And year over year, we continue to build that out more and more to make it more expansive, more robust to really put as much emphasis on the value as we can. Are there any specific this and this may be getting too far into the weeds like metrics that you're that you're looking at in this specific setting, you know, satisfaction scores, you know, run loss data, you know, are, are there, you know, kind of a few highlight ones that 
you are specifically looking at that you're presenting back to clients as you know contract talks come up or whatnot sure yeah you know so some of them are you know some of the simple dollars and cents of you know our flat rate versus here's a case and we could take a list of, we could list all the cases that we had had through a year a quarter yep. year over year whatever timeline we want to right or whatever the client's looking for the flat rate versus these cases, if they were to go out, this is what they could have cost, right? Sure. So this can go against, you know, the national benchmark averages of, of cost for, you know, a rotator cuff strain going out for PT, for example, okay. or whatever the case might be. So some of it's a simple dollar and cents of the costs that they avoid by allowing the medical care to be provided on site by us. Sure. Um, you know, on the OSHA side, and, you know, th this might, maybe this would be a separate conversation. I, I don't know if I'm going to go too far in the weeds here. So I'll That's totally not fine. To. But, uh, you know, the thing, uh, a lot of the things that the clients look for are within the OSHA guidelines. So there's OSHA recordability, there's days away from work. Um, what did we prevent? What did we, you know, what did we prevent altogether? Or what did we mitigate? Maybe there was a recordable or some days away from work, but um, how much did we reduce that? What would it have sure. been, you know, outside of that? So, you know, part of this is a bit of a predictive model. You know, there is other really hard data that we could just simply report on quite easily on that as well, too. So, you know, metrics wise, it's it's treatment, you know, it's outside treatment versus the inside treatment. Mm -hmm. And then it's different OSHA metrics um, it, that they are particularly interested in. And, you know, that, again, just comes down to having a very strong understanding of some things within OSHA and then being able to tap into that and report on that properly. Oh, that's perfect. Um, appreciate the kind of high level overview of that. Sure. Um, plenty of further digging for people <laughs> to do if they would if they would prefer. Uh, anything else that you wanted to touch on before we jump into the athletic training chat questions? Uh, last thing I'll leave with is is that you know again this this setting has been incredibly rewarding. You're we have an opportunity to truly impact someone's livelihood. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, thinking back to some things over over my time, people had mentioned um, someone had a, a had a pretty pretty nasty hamstring strain that took them out for quite a few weeks. They couldn't bounce their grandchild on their lap. They said that was like a really big deal to them. So that was like one of our motivational factors working sure. through their their treatment protocols, right? And then they were able to do that. You know, we're able to 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 help someone with that. We're able to give that to them. Um, there's times that, you know, we've been called for emergency first aid cases and that doesn't even need to be truly work-related really. I mean, there's people that just have medical condition, conditions, outstanding medical conditions for whatever reason. Um, I've been unfortunate enough to be a part of many TIAs or mini strokes and seizures. I've, I've been a part of way too many seizure calls and, and stroke calls than I'd really want to be a part of, but I'm on site. We're there to help and support that. So, you know, again, we, we just have this incredible opportunity to really serve and care for the general public and impact people's livelihood. I mean, they're, they're at work to take care of themselves and their family, and sure. we're right there with them to help support them. So, I mean, it's incredibly rewarding. Bringing it back to the athletic training profession, I really think this helps advance the profession as a whole. You know, again, we all know the challenges that we face as a profession with work-life balance, proper compensation, and things of that nature. This seems to be a very strong pillar to, to um, you know, not really just help address that, but it is a part of that. It does help advance the profession. Mm -hmm. I think it really helps show 
you know, our communities, what an athletic trainer is and what we can do. So for all these reasons, um, I just really love the setting. And I just, I hope more people become more and more aware of the setting because it's rewarding, it's fulfilling. And it's, it's quite easy, frankly, to take care of yourself while you're doing that. It's, it's a great, you know, relationship in that regard. It's very balanced. Oh, that's awesome. and Well said. So thank you for that. Sure. All right, uh, the athletic training chat questions. Where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And if you kind of set that example. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't want to be pessimistic and, and think it might be a little more realistic. I mean, I think we'd mentioned already there is a bit of an athletic training shortage. And if we see these trends continue, I think people will start to defer to other medical professions yep. or maybe another profession in general. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges we're up against, you know, we, we've talked, you know, salary and work-life balance to, you know, we've really exhausted that. But um, I think, you know, some of the other big factors that I've noticed from talking to people and just kind of being a fly on the wall in a lot of conversations has been what support they feel they receive from governing bodies and their association uh, I know there's a lot of worry and and uh, discontent over the possible CPC changes. Yep. Um, you know, I know they could be up against it with that. Depending in some states, uh, there there's some state practice acts that are still in in effect that kind of limit the athletic trainer and what they truly can do. So I'm going to kind of go back to so much of what I talked about earlier. But depending on the state, not many, but there are some states that do kind of limit the full scope of what the athletic trainer can do. Uh, they could do most of what they would typically be able to do everywhere else, but it does require, um, you know, a lot more, a lot more insight into your documentation and really your approach. And, and you want to make sure that you're not um, stepping over any boundaries, obviously. Right. Uh, so state practice acts um, in some states can be a challenge. Uh, so to answer your question, you know, they're, they're, could be continue to be a decrease in athletic trainers. I know there's a decrease in programs that are being accredited or choosing to be accredited yep. moving forward here with the master's program. So, you know, I, I do see, I hope not, but I do see there could be, continue to be more of a decline. And that's all the more reason why I hope this setting could be more well-known to, you know, kind of help address that, that need there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a great thing if, if people are leaving for it because of the salaries, those are known. Hopefully it kind of brings the rest along and that people, other settings and things will realize, well, if I want to keep people, I need to need to do what I got to do to keep them. And that hopefully will bring the whole profession along with it. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, look, I'm sure we've all seen this. If whether you're looking for a job or whether you're trying to stay tapped into the market to understand where things are at, but you know, just a few weeks ago, I saw an assistant athletic trainer job posting masters required for $32,000. Now, regardless of where you are in the country, $32,000 just isn't going to cut it. I mean, you know, again, we're trying to support ourselves and possibly family. Um, $32,000 isn't, isn't going to cut it in the, you know, most affordable part of the country, wherever that might be. And, yeah. and this part was not in a very affordable part of the country either. Sure. I'll add. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's still very prevalent, obviously. Yep. What advice would you give to yourself as a young athletic trainer? And if you could kind of go back and set when that you would give that advice. 
one thing I, I've kind of always recommended to people and, and I continue to impress upon myself too is talk to as many people as you possibly can and ask as many questions as you can. You know, really try to ask some probing questions, try to gain a full understanding and as much insight into something as you can in those areas that you might not be familiar with. You know, so if it's an area like this, you know, reach out to someone. And again, but I'll, I'll make sure you have my contact information because I'm happy to speak to anyone about this stuff. Um, you know, and especially on the financial side, you know, do what you can for for financial planning as well. That's probably the one thing I, I'd say, um, I wish I could go back and talk to my younger self to be a little bit more financially responsible sure. and conservative and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, really, I think it's networking. Networking is the biggest thing. You don't know when um, someone could become a really valuable resource, even if it isn't right around the corner, if it isn't right up front, it could be years down the road. Um, and maybe one of those resources ends up being someone on the financial world. So what has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career? You know, so I, I know I'm biased here um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of prop this up a little bit, but I think <laughs> I've just been incredibly fortunate uh, with my experience with my company at Pivot that internally, so many people internally have been the best resources. So that's been many athletic trainers, a lot of different athletic trainers all over the country. I mean, we connect fairly constantly. So sure. the networking there internally has been incredible. Um, you know, my direct supervisor himself as an athletic trainer as well, too. Unbelievable resource and support for me. Um, and even not other athletic trainers, you know, we've been fortunate enough with just, you know, our HR department, our, lead, our senior leadership, um, you know, really on at any level, it really at any level, regardless of title, an athletic trainer, you know, at the site level. Um, I'd say they've been my best resources. Uh, ones that I've talked to internally and learned, being able to learn from them and bounce ideas off of. Sometimes you just got to vent. That I think has been the most valuable resource. So I've just been incredibly fortunate to have a great supporting cast um, around me, my, my tenure. It's a relatively common answer. So a good one at that. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? This might be a pretty common thing too. Um, and this is something I challenge myself with. I, I, I've been, over time, I try to be much better with knowing when to turn off work and set those boundaries and limitations. Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I find myself cheating and I, and I still tap into work. Like I, I check that email or I send an email, even though I told myself I wouldn't. So what yeah. I try to do, and I do better with this over time, I have been better with it, but what I try to do is just set boundaries. I try to set realistic boundaries um, for myself of when to work, when not to work. And I think also really trying to communicate that, you know, with my family, I have a wife with a toddler and a second one on the way. So that work-life balance is extremely important, obviously. And I mean, look, we were asked to do a lot, especially in the leadership role. And I'm going to do things more than eight hours a day. I'm going to do things more than just five days a week. And I understand that that comes up the territory and I'm happy to, because I really enjoy what I do. Sure. But you also want to have that healthy balance too. So I think it's a matter of finding those boundaries, you know, setting those boundaries and really trying to adhere to it um, as, as best as you can. Uh, the other thing I'd say that is, I think beneficial is, uh, you know, try to have candid and transparent conversations when they're needed. 
uh, that probably that might sound pretty abstract, right? But but I I found um, you know especially in a leadership role, if if things happen, you know, uh, resentment can build for whatever reason because again, life happens. Sure. Just things in life happen, and I think you know when we're looking at mental health, especially so much this past year and a half or so, almost two years has been so much more at the forefront. You know, a small piece of the mental health part that I think is important is to not hold on to things and, you know, make sure that there's a proper outlet for that, that you could speak about it. Um, so I think that that's very important as well, too. I like it. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset, or anything of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? State practice acts. Pretty simple. <laughs> that is the That's first it. of that one. I do like that one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got that one yet, but it, I like that. Yeah, you know, I, 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 have a, I have a few thoughts on actual treatment modalities. And honestly, I'm not as strong or passionate on them as, as some others might be. I have sure. a few thoughts here and there, but... It, it's a state practice act. So look, at the end of the day, we are unbelievably well-versed, well-educated clinicians that can make a unbelievable impact with people. And the fact that we can be limited in some capacity to, you know, serve our communities, to serve the general public is, I mean, quite frankly, it's just baffling to me. It's, yeah. it, it, it's part of the political game. I think I, I understand right. it is what it is. That's, that's just how I chalk it up. I, you can tell I'm maybe a little jaded from that. Um, I get it. It would, it would just be the state practice act because look at the end of the day we we go to school and and get into this profession to help people and to think that we can be limited in doing that is just such a disservice to the community and to those right. people so state practice acts get them out of here i like it that, that's a good one yeah um lastly what does being an athletic trainer mean to you kind of what i uh, had, had just mentioned right there you know we're we're health safety wellness advocates um, we're really well-versed in all these different areas and we have a unique ability to impact people on so many different levels. Uh, so I think it's simply a matter of being someone that could serve the community. You know, I think we're healthcare partners for life, really. Uh, I, I understand how that probably sounds, probably sounds a little cheesy, but uh, okay. I wouldn't say that I didn't mean it. I, I you know, I, I do mean that where, you know, we are and, and can be, we should be incredible healthcare partners for people. Um, so that's what being an athletic trainer, um, means to me. And, um, in, in that regard, I wouldn't change anything. I like it. That's a very good description and I appreciate you sharing that. So, um, kind of just to wrap up, you referenced it, but we're going to hold you to it. If people wanted to reach out to you, where could, where would they best find you? Sure. So you could search for my name on LinkedIn. You could get me on LinkedIn. Um, or if you'd like to email me directly, more than okay. I actually encourage that. I'm happy to field questions since I like talking about this. You could reach me at it's MCON. So it's my first first initial for Mike, K-A-H-N. And it's at pivot H S. So P-I-V-O-T-H-S.com. Got it. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this and reaching out to share this. I think this was a really good. Um, another view and oversight over this profession, um, specifically in these settings, and a lot of good takeaways. So I appreciate you again for for doing that. I appreciate you, Joel. I think what you're doing here is awesome. Um, man, I'll tell you, I, I love this stuff. I think, you know, creating a, a 
a community for athletic trainers to get together and talk and listen to one another. I mean, this is another great way to advance the profession. So this is great. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate the time. Anytime. I'm very much look forward to staying in contact. So absolutely.